five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. <clears throat> yeah, I had the earphones plugged in. Okay, no big promotions today. Yeah, thanks, Keith. Yeah, now I get it. Okay, let's get over to Tom Fishburn right away. We'll get over there, and uh, here we go. Bingo. Okay, status quo and the resistance to change. The chief status quo officer, CSQO, at the head of the organization, VP of wait and see, VP of play it safe, VP of more analysis. This one's always been the one that I thought was the most fun as we forged into database marketing, big data, and AI. Everyone thought that that would instantly give you decision-making. But because all data and all analysis is historical, it just gives you more evidence for whatever position you'd really like to, to embrace. <clears throat> director of it'll never work. That's usually operations. Director of tried it before. Um, you know, could be finance or we don't have the money or... Yes, but that's probably that might be marketing. Anyway, um, Bill Taylor, co-founder of Fast Company Magazine, once stumbled across an obscure article written by a product manager, and we'll have that available if you want to subscribe to the WDMA. I make the show notes available every day, so the marked-up articles are up there, not right away, but soon. Um, also, uh, sometimes links, and there's also a daily podcast if you don't want to watch me drink coffee like somebody said on Friday. But anyway, um, the product manager, E.F. Borsch, Borsch, compiled this list while working for the Milwaukee Gear Company. I believe that that's not in business anymore. Milwaukee Gear Company. But it sounds like a good name. Uh, would be a good outdoor sports gear company now. Um, anyway, WDMA, Wisconsin DMA, Milwaukee Gear Company. How cool is that? So he had a list of 50, and here's one. We've never done it before. We tried it before. Number one, number four. Number seven, it won't work in a small company. Number eight, it won't work in a large company. Number 41, we're doing all right as it is. 46, it needs a committee study. This was written in 1959. I was four years old. You think I'm old? This article is, is almost as old. And uh, Bill republished the list just the same in 1993, okay? So that's like 40 years later. And uh, then he wrote an article from Harvard Business Review, put the list in again in 2013. Um, here is a here's a cartoon from Tom from back in, uh, in his days at Harvard Business School. It looks like 08. He's a young guy. Anyway, it says, I'm going to change the world. And uh, this is the this is the life cycle of a change agent. I'm going to change the world. We need to change this company. You need to change these forecasts. <laughs> Should I change my tea time? <laughs> At least he made it to the CEO by being a change agent. You know, when I first got into business, um, I don't know why this is, but my father used to always talk about what could be and rather than what is. And you know, I was a change agent. Um, Every company I worked for from the very earliest on grew dramatically while I was there. And for a while, I didn't think they were connected. But it turns out I think they were, maybe because the people who hired me were, were fed up with the 
with the president enough to hire a crazy young man with lots of ideas. <clears throat> but, you know, I found out after about the fifth company that would double in size, and then, I, and then I'd go somewhere else, and then they wouldn't grow after that, ever, at all, in 40 years. <laughs> I, uh, I realized that I might have had something to do with it, but that I was also annoying. They could only take me for about two years. Because I would talk about why the coffee machine needed different lids on the pots and how if they moved it across the hall, there would be fewer steps for more employees and we'd actually be more productive if they could move the coffee machine and things like that. You know, I was always coming up with stuff, you know, and I found out when I got about 20 employees that it was annoying to have an employee like me. Because there may or may not be a reason why the coffee machine was there, but we didn't care. It was there, and it was fine. And so it takes a certain amount of courage to hire someone like me, uh, whether they're a, a mail clerk or a VP of marketing. And I've basically had both jobs. <clears throat> so, you know, if you want to change, that's one of the first things you can do. Uh, you probably have employees that are so annoying and have so many ideas that you just get sick of listening to them. I'd say one of the best places to start is, well, I was going to say listen to those employees, but might be better to hire a consultant to listen to them. Then at least you don't have to put up with it, and the consultant can write it up in a report. And after he's done, you know, the employees can say, well, I've been saying that for years. And they will. And that's okay. And the consultant, you know, if he's legit, won't mind too terribly taking your money to just write down the good ideas that the employees the employees already knew. Uh, but at least it'll be easy to implement. And he'll weed out the worst of the ideas. Okay. But Bill Taylor suggests there's a few principles. Progress is a math formula. It only happens when the cost of the status quo is greater than the risk of change. That's why the third principle of change for a leader is to encourage a sense of dissatisfaction. And that could come by just hiring some crazy person that's going to complain about everything, including the coffee machine. Business as usual is the ultimate risk. And here's a few more cartoons from Tom Fishburne. Instead of risking anything new, let's play it safe by continuing our slow decline into obsolescence. Now let's pick the, the innovative idea with the, le with the greatest potential to keep things exactly as they are. <laughs> That's not what I do, okay? Never have. Blown the doors off, gotten massively higher valuations for companies, and made the owners millions or tens of millions of dollars. That aside, let's look at this one. Oh, this is great. Rhoda Blazer, Basler? Rhoda Basler, Hallmark Business. And I looked it up because I just wanted to see what kind of era she was from. And she graduated in 1994 and uh, has had some uh, male career and uh, is writing about the resurgence of male. But she works at Hallmark Business. I think she's like the head of Hallmark Business or the VP of Marketing or something. Okay. And so uh, you've probably reevaluated your marketing strategies since the beginning of the pandemic, right? After all, consumer, consumer buying has changed quite a bit, okay? Eh, you know, it's accelerated the, 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 it's accelerated the trend toward remote buying. I would say that. But, you know, we were doing remote buying in 1981, and, you know, I started doing it 
I grew up doing it. We, my dad bought his first fly rod uh, from the Courtney Raleigh, Courtney Raleigh Cooper fly rod from the, uh, oh, I can't remember, Colorado Sporting Goods Company. I've told the story before. But, um, but so I grew up doing mail order, and that's, where, that's what it got accelerated. More people are buying remote. If you boil it down to that, you get it. Okay? But be sure to consider an omni-channel approach that includes direct mail marketing. And I would say, I'm going to argue against uh, against Rhonda. I'm going to argue that direct mail marketing should be the foundation of your marketing. And then you should complement it with digital. And I'm going to show you why. I hope I can. USPS says two-thirds of individuals say letters and cards improve their connection with the outside world. They're more emotional in meaning, 6 out of 10. Direct mail isn't just an ascending marketing tactic that agree that, that this is a good line. I like this. All this means direct mail isn't just an ascending marketing tactic. Mostly it is a tactic, but that agrees with ROI. It's also a great way to ensure corporate social responsibility to keep people in touch with the outside world. Keep people in touch with the physical world. Hey, that's something on its own. But does that mean there's a tiff between direct mail and digital? I would say there is. I would say there's a there's a there's a tiff between direct marketing, direct mail marketing, and almost everything else. Okay, because I've been in it for 40 years, and I can tell you that. Um, but the bottom line is you can't afford to forget any multi-channel possibility, including direct mail. But I would assert that if all you do is plug mail in, you will quit mail in short order. Okay, and I'll explain why and you'll see this. First, good point. Define your target audiences know and know what they need. And she says you can go out on social media groups. And that's true. You know, I'm working with a new web company and one of our goals is that we may get to a catalog. But to start with, I'm going out on the Facebook groups and looking at what they're posting. I'm going on Instagram. I'm going on all different social media because it's quick and easy. And you get a lot of feedback from that. So that's really good. And most people are happy to provide information when asked. And I would say that's also true. Um, you might introduce yourself to the group and ask for their feedback in the form of a short survey or, groom or, or Zoom focus session. Absolutely good. Nothing wrong with that. Okay? Let's get to number two. Create content that matters to your preferred customers. Now, here's where we sort of part company. We're starting to part company because she highlights Dove. Misstep a la Dove. I didn't go out there, but the brand lost traction. I, I did feature it, you know, but it's not a product I use, so it didn't really connect with my brain. Um... <laughs> Uh, but um, Dove made a, made a mistake. Anyway, whatever they did was a disaster, but then they pivoted and they did some good stuff. But see, the point, there's the point. The point is that the alternative world, the world of advertising, the ad agency world, wants to go out, talk to a few people through focus groups, questionnaires, feedback, and other forms of feedback. The direct marketing world says, let's get a couple of good ideas. And if you remember Emily in Paris, that shot I did of Emily in Paris, where she has an idea, where they have this, they have this woman, <clears throat> completely nude woman, walking down the street and basically 
guys looking at her, you could say leering. Some people would say that. And and so the, the question at the ad agency was, was it, was it uh, feminine or feminist or was it, uh, was it, was it misogynistic or, you know. And Emily says, this was great. She's the youngest one in the room. And she says, it doesn't matter what you think. It matters what your customers think. And that's where direct mail is part of a strategy. Direct mail marketing. Have a cup of tea, <laughs> right? I like tea and I have Earl Grey. And if anybody's in England, I need some help getting some Sainsbury Earl Grey. It's cheap. I'll pay for it. But, you know, I finally found some on eBay and for some reason they won't ship it to me. And the company says, we ship to the U.S. all the time. And eBay says, they need to turn off all their settings. And the company says, we don't want to turn off all our I don't know what the problem is. But they won't sell it to me. So if you're in England, I should get Matthew Parker to get me some. He could do it. Matthew, if you're listening, <laughs> I mentioned you again today. We missed you on Friday. I know it was past your bedtime in the U.K. But I need some Sainsbury because I'm running low on my Earl Grey. And it's, it's my favorite, and it's super strong. I get three pots out of one pot packet. Although the box says you're supposed to put one in for each cup and one for the pot. <laughs> it would be darker than this black coffee I'm drinking. Anyway, I start with coffee. I get to tea later. But I'm, I'm, I'm being miserly about it because I don't know if I'll ever be able to buy it again. <clears throat> anyway, so what's the difference? Okay, The difference is that rather than creating content, and making the mistake that Dove did, or making the mistake, or, or we're, we're, we're siding with Emily in Paris and saying it doesn't matter what, you're, what you want. Go see what sells the most perfume. That's what direct marketers do. Go read again. I read it once this week. I'm going to, once this month, I'm going to read it. I'm going to keep going through it. it, it I, I converted it to a book on tape, an audio book. There, it come, if you pay the $10, it comes as a video book, but I converted it to audio. And if you write me, I, I think I could probably send it to you. But I, uh, I listened to it on my drive to Minnesota. And scientific advertising, I mean, it's brilliant. But it teaches you why mail can be the foundation of a strategy of customer engagement rather than general advertising and and mass media and focus groups and a bunch of uh, people who may be out of touch with your customers, may be completely different kind of people than your customers. We let the market tell us what's going on. And that's a strategic difference that direct marketers have. And mail is the foundation of it. And we're going to be doing a, a webinar uh, the thir Thursday, Thursday uh, the 20 probably the 27th or something of February. But this Thursday, you know, this not this coming Thursday, but next week Thursday, we're going to be doing a webinar and um, on how this all fits together. Because I can't do it in, in a 10-minute show when I've already gone 17. Okay, personalize the customer journey. Tomorrow, I'm going to be shooting a, uh, I'm going to be shooting a, a show with James and he's going to talk about his hexagon and why the customer journey doesn't exactly make sense, but there's maybe a way to fix it. But again, this is another thing that comes from the idea that we can measure everything and we can know everything about our customer, but you don't even know what you're going to buy next. Think about it. 
Think about it honestly. If you can't predict you, then you're not going to predict based on your own personal product journey. Think about the last thing you bought. What was the journey? Think about the one before that. What was the journey? Yeah, right, okay. Gauge omni-channel direct marketing performance regularly. Here's where everybody goes off the rails, okay? What we do is we get an attribution company and we ask them to track the touches. And what happens? Direct mail gets no touches. Because, I mean, maybe if you have your QR to a separate landing page or, as, as Rhonda says, you could have a special call-in number. But see, that's not what happens. What happens is people go, they look at the mailing piece and they say, oh, maybe I could look into this. And then they go online and they look up your company. They wander around a bit. Then they leave. And they say, well, wonder if anybody else has it locally. You know, can I buy it at Target? I'm going there today or something like that. So then they go to Target.com. Then they go to, and then they go to ESPN, and you're running an ad over there, right? Because you can. And nobody sees the ad, but her computer picks up a cookie. You know, and then finally she doesn't see the, the size she wants at Target, so she decides she'll go buy it from that mailing piece. She grabs the mailing piece again, goes to your site, wanders around again, abandons her shopping cart, etc., etc. Finally she buys it, and guess what? All those other digital channels get tracked to that purchase. And the main cause, which was the mailing piece, doesn't. And you say, mail doesn't work. That's what's going to happen. So I warn you to be very careful. But keep this in mind, and this is good. Above all else, use this moment to become an irresistible brand by adopting a revitalized marketing strategy. Strategy. What's a strategy? It's a whole different way of doing things. It's not just a tactic. Not just we're going to try mail. And don't forget to pepper your consumer connections with powerful personalized direct mail. If all you do is do direct mail, it'll fail. Digital will overwhelm it with bad attribution. Find someone that's been at it since the 70s and see what they can do. Because if you started in the 90s, you missed the main teaching about mail, about mail as direct marketing. By then, the Internet was starting to come and cloud everyone's mind. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye. I got to do this right-handed over here. I don't know how to do it right-handed. <laughs>